Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to the Get Your Goat Podcast. Josh here with you. A lot to get into. Looks like there's breaking news on Aaron Rodgers. Deshaun Watson news as well, making an appearance. A few signings, a few more trade requests. Then I will give you my top 10 linebackers outside and inside in the game of football right now entering this season. Team France beating Team USA, NHL trades, MLB trades, a lot to get into, a lot to unpack. So let's get started with Aaron Rodgers, most likely returning to the Green Bay Packers for one more season. It would be his 17th in Green Bay. The deal's not done yet, but Green Bay Packers have now had a list of concessions to have Aaron Rodgers return for one more season. These are the things mentioned in the contract. The 2023 year, which is next year, the 2022-2023 season, would be voided. So that's next year. So this will be the last year of his deal. The Packers would agree to review Rodgers' situation at the end of the season. Uh, no franchise tag would be allowed, so no cheap shot by those Green Bay Packers. Or Rodgers' contract would be adjusted with no loss of income to give the Packers more cap room now, and mechanisms will be put in place to address Rodgers' issues with the team. The Packers' agreement to review the situation after the season implies that the team will trade Rodgers if he still feels the way he has about the Packers' culture and decision-making. That is from Adam Schefter himself over at ESPN. Amen. This whole Aaron Rodgers saga is finally, or not finally over, but very close to over. Hopefully he just signs this and gets on with his life, or he doesn't sign it and gets on with his life, because this is, this is very tiring. Somehow, Aaron Rodgers has just made a spectacle of himself. It's poor me, all about me offseason since the NFL draft at the end of April. It's just been speculation after speculation. Aaron Rodgers has just been leaking things through different people. Has only come out a couple times and said something and made statements. But I am so happy that this is getting close to over will be over and resolved one of the two ways. It's good for both teams. It really is after this long off season, which feels like it's been longer, you know, than seasons before. I don't know why, but it just does. And I think part of it has to do with Aaron Rodgers and this dilemma of the Packers and this dilemma. But I'm glad that no matter what, Aaron Rodgers will probably get what he wants. The Packers will get what he wants. They'll trade Aaron Rodgers to a different team, and Aaron Rodgers will leave, and that will probably be next year. The Packers have finally realized that it is up. It's over. It's done. So that is good news because he will probably not be with the Packers Next year, however, next year, he'll be on the verge of turning 39. So who knows what his game will be like, how his game will be like this year. They are taking a huge gamble, the Green Bay Packers, for not trading him this year. Because right now is when you would get the most, most trade value. But I'm happy... That this is over. Congrats to everybody. Rogers held out. Had a last dance post. Him and Devontae Adams coordinating Instagram posts where it signaled like they were going to be back for one last dance. And 
it looks like it. Devontae Adams' contract talks broke down, so this could be his last year, too. Who knows what will happen, but they're going to have one last dance because, you know, they're Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen won six rings together. Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams together have won zero. Aaron Rodgers has won one without him. So congrats to all those guys on the deal. It's just a lot of tumultuous times in Green Bay. Randall Cobb, his former teammate, looks like a trade could be happening to bring him back because of the excess cap room. Maybe Aaron Rodgers is staging something because now they have a ton of cap room to make these crazy trades and bring people in to really win it all. How hungry will he be? We'll find out. This football season only got more interesting. But you never know with Aaron Rodgers what he is thinking. You just don't. Because he hasn't said anything. He doesn't talk much. So we will find out soon. And we'll find out this season how good the Green Bay Packers are and how much this has took a toll on the whole team. But now Deshaun Watson, he made a spot in mini, mini camp, excuse me, at mini camp, made an appearance, and now the whole world's talking. What's he doing there? Uh, it was my first question is, isn't he under a criminal investigation? Uh, what the heck is going on? Why is he at training camp? I know it's mandatory and he doesn't want to get fined, but isn't he on some sort of exemplist? Which he is not. So, it's all very sticky with Deshaun Watson and his criminal investigation, because it's been ongoing uh, for a couple months now. And what I've read and what I'm led to believe is that there really isn't sufficient evidence to back up all these claims, because it has been a lengthy investigation so far, but they haven't got results or there hasn't been enough uh Direction in one way to where, you know, Deshaun Watson needs to get put on the commissioner's exempt list or anything of that nature. It's like he is fine where he was at. We're going to proceed how it is. And that is how the cookie will crumble. And I believe if there's anything more serious that comes out regarding Deshaun Watson and some of these allegations, then he would probably be put on an exemplist for the season, but that is not the case. But the Houston Texans are going to honor his wish in trading him, and they want a combined five high draft picks and a couple starting caliber players. Now, that's, that's insanity. Right there. He made this trade before... He, Deshaun Watson made this trade request before all these allegations occurred. That's when you would have got maximum trade value for Deshaun Watson, but the Houston Texans didn't want to. Now, after all these allegations, now they say, oh, we'll honor that trade request. What team in their right mind is going to trade five high draft picks and a couple players for a man they are not 100% sure is going to start this season or play football again. I think he'll play football again. I don't think it'll be most of this season. But you're not trading up that much for some sort of uncertainty. You need a guarantee. And the Houston Texans are in a world of trouble as an organization because there is a lot wrong with them from top to bottom. So that is very interesting development. I would say the Houston Texans try to make a trade sooner than later 
try to get some team to bite on the Deshaun Watson bait because they probably have a few nibbles already. What else? Chandler Jones, outside linebacker for the Arizona Cardinals, requested a trade yesterday. Just when I was excited about the Cardinals seeing games, and he has gone off and done this. Only played five games last year because of a surgery to his biceps. So he is unhappy with his contract situation. Says he wants to play with J.J. Watt, but wants a new contract. I mean, my God, I'm entering the final year of a $15.5 million deal, and I already want a new contract. How about you just play your new contract and worry about that? You had a big injury last year. Uh, you need to deal with that and prove that you are still that guy, and you're not going to get injured again if I am the Cardinals. And to me, that's what the Cardinals are doing. They've already have handed out extensions, and they're an extension-happy team. Gave one to DeAndre Hopkins, making him the highest-paid player, a highest-paid wide receiver, my bad, and they gave Buda Baker for one of the biggest safety contracts ever, so they are really uh, affecting, or they're really you know, paying their players and doing it uh, how it should be done, so I don't want to hear anything about Chandler Jones. If he wants to go to a new team, let him. You know, I would trade Chandler Jones for an Xavier Howard, a cornerback for the Miami Dolphins, or include him in some kind of trade for Stephon Gilmore of the New England Patriots. Uh, try to help out a corner of need. You did draft Zayvon Collins. I mean, he is an outside linebacker. You could use him. You had Isaiah Simmons last year. So you have a plethora at that outside linebacker role. So you have plenty of depth there. And it's so good for you. And then we'll see about that. Now before I get into my top 10 linebackers, I just want to make a brief statement on uh, the Oklahoma-Texas is that they have submitted their letter of resignation from a Big 12, rescinding their media rights. So they said two things are likely to happen. One is that they both stick around till June of 2025, another four years because that's when their rights officially end, or they could play for the SEC as soon as next year, the 2022 to 2023 season, and they each have to pay a penalty of at least $75 million, uh, to the Big 12 for the media rights and not sticking around the full time. To me, with how it looks and how much money these schools rake in, both the Big 10 and SEC, I mean the Big, or the Big 12, my bad, and Oklahoma and Texas being kind of a premier program is that they leave uh, Big 12 and that's it. But another thing that you have to consider is this is also for basketball, all sports as well. So this is a major conference. It's not just football. It is all sport, the whole organization shifting from the Big 12 to the SEC. That's a big impact on every single player in that organization looking to be the top dog. So it has a lot to be seen regarding this. Now, talking about my top 10 linebackers in the game of football right now. This is outside linebackers. Ones who might, you know, play an extension of a middle linebacker role uh, and play man or zone, or it could be outside linebackers that rush as well or kind of act like they're on the defensive line, maybe drop back and pass coverage a little bit. So I'm going to give you my top 10 
linebackers in the NFL entering in to this season. Number 10 is Darius Smith, linebacker for the Green Bay Packers. Shifted from sort of a middle linebacker to that outside linebacker role, and he has been dominant the past two seasons. Uh, pressures, gr- pressure grades of 90 and 93. He has been spectacular in any role that he has had, whether they ask him to go back to that inside role or not. But this is a guy in Green Bay who didn't play a lot with the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, He did not see a lot of playing time, didn't start a lot of games as well, was available, but they just didn't use him. Comes to Green Bay and has two Pro Bowl seasons in his two years in Green Bay. Last year had 13.5 sacks. This year had 12.5 sacks. Uh, 55 tackles, 52 tackles, 17 of those for a loss last year, 12 this year, and an insane amount of quarterback hits, uh, totaling 60 from the past two years. So, Zadarius Smith can play, and he has found a home in Green Bay. When he turns it on, you really can't stop Zadarius Smith. He is a really solid Football player who has turned into one of the best linebackers in the game of football. There are so many great linebackers that I couldn't put on this list uh, that to me were vying for this number 10 spot. Whether it be the J.J. Watts or the Chandler Jones or any of those guys. uh, Demario Davis, Deion Jones. There's just a plethora of great linebackers. And to me, he is one of the best. And that is Zadarius Smith right now entering this season. Again, another one not happy about contracts or anything like that. But we'll see. Hopefully it's not an Aaron, another Aaron Rodgers situation at another position. Number nine. Outside linebacker Shaquille Barrett for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was a great rotational player in uh, the Denver Broncos, but won a Super Bowl as a rotational player. But with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he has blossomed into a great stud at the outside linebacker position. 157 pressures in his time in Tampa Bay the last two years, and that is the most in the NFL over two years. He had a breakout season when he first came over two years ago for Tampa in the 2019 season, selected of a Pro Bowl, had 19.5 sacks, was close to breaking the sack record, had a huge Season, 58 tackles, 19 tackles for a loss, 37 quarterback hits. was just monstrous. Then this year, had a little bit of a sack regression. Eight sacks, but the same amount of tackles at 57. Tackles for loss dipped a little bit at 11. Quarterback hits to 16. But this whole defense was really good. They were just connected and locked in. Uh, Dadamakong Sue. Uh, Vita Vea was there the first five games and was injured. JPP on the other side. So it was very balanced. It wasn't Shaquille Barrett doing all the heavy lifting. But when he was required to make an extra play or two, especially in the playoffs, he did just that. This year, he had four sacks in the four playoff games. That He had a, a monster one in the last two games, especially against Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes, Shaquille Barrett, was really special and one of the premier outside linebackers in the NFL. Number eight is Khalil Mack, outside linebacker for the Chicago Bears. 
doesn't have the sack numbers that he does because he's always getting double teamed. That's just how dominant that he is. But that just doesn't really convey just how good Khalil Mack has been uh, with both the Chicago Bears and the Oakland Raiders when he was there uh, combined, selected the six Pro Bowls, and has been voted the three first-team All-Pros. This man has been insane, 70 and a half sacks in his career, 448 tackles, 97 of those tackles for loss. Uh, this guy is brilliant, 129 quarterback uh, hits in his career, and last year he added a safety to his resume. Has a couple of touchdowns on the defensive side. Uh, that is how dominant he is, and another thing, I love about Cleo Mack is he's reliable, he's productive, he rarely misses games, misses starts due to injury, has played the full 16 games the past two seasons, uh, last year forced a few fumbles, recovered two of them, year before forced five and recovered one of them, so this guy is a monster, is a threat anytime he gets to the quarterback or a running back in wide open space, Khalil Mack is a stud. Number seven, linebacker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Devin White. They kind of utilize a two-middle linebacker system where he kind of plays the left side. Last year, he had a huge season, his rookie season. Forced a couple of fumbles, recovered them, had two touchdowns, a league-high for a linebacker at two touchdowns in 121 yards combined. A fumble returned yards. Two and a half sacks, four tackles for a loss, 91 tackles. Stepped it up in the sophomore season to 140 tackles this season. 97 of them solo, 15 tackles for a loss, 16 quarterback hits. He was all over the field. Same in the playoffs, 38 tackles in four games. A couple of fumble recoveries as well. Two interceptions. I mean, he did it all. Devin White was simply spectacular. Raised his game in the playoffs. And because of him, uh, he definitely helped them win the Super Bowl this past year. That is how good he was. He ascended, especially in the Super Bowl, to a great linebacker middle linebacker, especially starting quality player. That's how good Devin White was in that postseason. Uh, His trajectory flew through the roof, went to the moon. That's how good Devin White was. That's how good Devin White is. And I'm only expecting better things from him because he's young, he plays fast, and he fits well in this Buccaneers defense and this defensive scheme with Todd Bowles. Number six, Darius Leonard for the Indianapolis Colts. He never has bad games, bad plays always in the right spot, has the most most forced fumbles of any linebacker since he's entered the league in three seasons, which the number is 10, 10 forced fumbles. Three years, two Pro Bowls, two All-Pros, 2018 Defensive Rookie of the Year as well. This guy is a monster. His rookie season, All-Pro, 163 tackles, 12 tackles for loss, eight quarterback hits. That to me is, that is like a peak linebacker. And he had his peak season at his rookie season. So you are expecting a little bit of a dip to a regression mean average, and that is what he has done the past two seasons, 121 tackles to 132, same seven tackles for loss, six quarterback hits, uh, still been brilliant, uh, five interceptions last year. I mean, Darius Leonard, to me, is one of the key reasons why 
the Indianapolis defense has been so good, so steady. Yes, they brought in DeForest Buckner this year from the San Francisco 49ers, but a lot of this does not get done without Darius Leonard and him manning the second level of the Colts defense. As I said, he's explosive. He gets all over the field, makes wide open tackles, doesn't miss tackles, doesn't miss games. Uh, He is everything you want on your team in that middle linebacker role. That is how good Darius Leonard is. Number five, Levante David, running or linebacker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's getting older to me, which is why he isn't higher. But since he's been so good, Levante David is up there. Had another big game in the Super Bowl where he made a couple of key pass breakups in that game that helped turn the tide of the game. He has been a pro bowler, a first-team all-pro member with the with the Buccaneers, and this year was rewarded with a Super Bowl. He has done everything in his career. Safety, touchdown, sacks, quarterback hits. I mean, he's done it all. In his career with the Bucks in the eight, nine years that he's been there, has over a thousand tackles, 128 tackles for loss, 55 quarterback hits, 24 sacks from a middle linebacker position where he shifted from just the one to now they have the two manning it. And Levante David is a rock. The captain of that defense was great in the playoff run as well. And I can see him passing the torch to Devin White. It's rare for a team to have two great linebackers. We saw that work with the Seahawks, with K.J. Wright and Bobby Wagner. But for the Bucks to have this, that's what helps this defense out, Levante David and Devin White. But Devin White being that veteran leadership, kind of the captain of that defense, of that second level to where he will make those big punishing hits on tight ends, wide receivers, running backs, that plays the game uh, the right way. No longer is in the shadow of Luke Keekley in that division, uh, to where he is the best linebacker in the NFC South. Number four is Eric Kedricks for the Minnesota Vikings. One Pro Bowl, one All-Pro in his career. Uh, Has 17 pass breakups, uh, which is the highest since he's entered the league. Highest coverage grade amongst linebackers at 91. He is the best coverage linebacker. One-on-one with a tight end matchup. I want Eric Kendricks. Now, last year he dealt with some injury, so he didn't quite put up the big numbers at where he came off a Pro Bowl All-Pro season of, you know, a career-high 110 tackles, four tackles for a loss, a quarterback hit, or a couple quarterback hits, my bad, uh, half a sack. So he doesn't really rush the quarterback, but it is that passing game where he doesn't allow a ton of yards on him anchors that second level and is again a shutdown middle linebacker which is hard to find nowadays where these tight ends are so fast and the game is just going so fast that sometimes the linebackers get lost in coverage and you can elude them but you really can't do that with Eric Kendricks and I have to give him props for playing so well and playing so hard throughout his career and solidifying himself as one of the best linebackers in the game. Number three is Fred Warner, linebacker for the San Francisco 49ers. Is a true middle linebacker, 
that is close to the top dog of the best middle linebacker where he has this uh, hybrid role where he plays some of this slot linebacker type role, but he has a 90 uh, grade in terms of coverage, which shows how good he is to Eric Kendricks is a little better, but Fred Warner is also really solid. They allow him to rush a little bit more in San Francisco, which is why he racks up a couple more sacks, uh, but his tackles are high, career high, 125, seven quarterback hits as well. Again, consistent three years with San Francisco has started every game was the anchor for all of Salah's defenses. There were, they were in the top five with him, made it to the Super Bowl as well. Fred Warner voted to the Pro Bowl and first team all pro this year. Just came off that record-setting extension that made him the highest-played linebacker, and he's only 24 years old, so he's young. He's athletic. He impacts this defense to me more than anybody outside. I'd say Nick Bosa, but Nick Bosa was gone last year, and Fred Warner still put up huge numbers, both in coverage and the zone as well, where he can play zone and man coverage, and he shuts down either the man or of his own, because he is also really, really fast and quick. Number two, though, is T.J. Watt. T.J. Watt is the best outside linebacker to me in the game. Uh, That is not exactly the same position as Fred Warner. It's a little different than the number one that I will give you. Uh... T.J. Watt is strictly pass rush production, kind of run stuffing on the side. Past two two seasons, he leads all outside linebackers in sacks at 29.5 quarterback hits, 46, falling short of Shaq's, Shaquille Barrett's pressures, which is the highest. But last year, I believe he should have won defensive player of the year. That was how good T.J. Watt was last year. Three straight Pro Bowls, two straight first-team All-Pros. This year had a league-high 15 sacks, a league-high 23 tackles for loss, 53 total tackles. Last year had 14.5 sacks. year before, 13. Started every game. Last year forced eight fumbles. Had four of those recovered. This year forced two. Uh, T.J. Watt is a dominant outside linebacker in this game, transforming into a perennial defensive player of the year contender. Also hits the quarterback a ton. Career high, 41 quarterback hits this year. He is fast. He's athletic. And now you're going to have to start double teaming him, which means his numbers will go down. But TJ Watt is the real deal. Used to be J.J. Watt's league in terms of defense and how good J.J. was. But now T.J. Watt has taken the Watt torch. That is how good T.J. is and I think will continue to develop and be for its Pittsburgh Steelers team. But number one is Bobby Wagner. The best middle linebacker in the game since Luke Kuechly retired. 23 quarterback pressures in his fifth straight season. 80-plus pass rushing grade on the blitz. It is both the perfect blend of a pass rush that you need for a middle linebacker and coverage. He is the anchor of the Seattle Seahawks defense that no longer features the Legion of Boom, but features Bobby Wagner as the key cog in this defense. He has been to seven straight Pro Bowls and five straight All-Pro teams and six of the past eight years has been first-team All-Pro. Was won a Super Bowl 2016 league-high 167 tackles. Last year, 159. Has the most tackles in that span since 2012. At 1,213 for a middle linebacker. 
A couple safeties thrown in there. Touchdowns as well. Sacks this year, three. Last year, three. Doesn't allow a lot of yards, as I said. Is that perfect blend. And he is in the playoffs as well from time to time. And has monster games. You never say Bobby Wagner is the reason why I lost that game. Never the reason with the Seahawks. He is always the stud, the standout. The one you say, I wish my team had Bobby Wagner, or I wish everybody on the Seahawks defense played like Bobby Wagner, because that is the impact of Bobby Wagner. He makes everybody around you better, made KJ Wright better, made the Legion a boom better. And when you had a true great second level to this defense, and when I refer to levels, you have your first level, which is your defensive ends inside line on the line that rush the quarterback that are strictly lined up. Level two is the linebackers, which is what this refers to. And then level three is cornerback and safeties, which play farther up the field on defense. But as I, again, Bobby Wagner is the best, also the most reliant. He starts every game, plays every game, never has had any crazy injuries in his career, missed a few games here or there but is simply the best middle linebacker right now in the game of football, even at the age of 30, he's still doing it. One minor signing, so that's my top 10 linebackers in the NFL. 10, Zadarius Smith, 9, Shaquille Barrett, 8, Khalil Mack, 7, Devin White, 6, Darius Leonard, 5, Levante David, 6, Eric Kendricks, or 4, Eric Kendricks, 3, Fred Warner, 2, TJ Watt, 1, Bobby Wagner. So, one other minor signing is the Vikings signed D.D. Westbrook to a contract now. This is not a world beater. He's a wide receiver, D.D. Westbrook. And I think this will help out the Vikings, I do. Uh, because... They have a number one wide receiver to me in Justin Jefferson. They have a number two in Adam Thielen, but they really didn't have a three and don't have great tight end production, so they needed to add another one. They added D.D. Westbrook, who last year, injured the whole year, only had like four receiving yards uh, or something like that. But the year before, when he's healthy, the year before that, had around 700, 660. So... I think he'll be a great piece because he doesn't need to be relied on. Like he was in Jacksonville to be a groundbreaking wide receiver. That's not what they're going to ask of him to be in Minnesota. So I think this will help the team spread out the wealth between the three when you have sort of a DD that gets injured, when you have Adam Thielen who's dealt with injuries in his career as well. Uh, the more weapons for con artist Kirk, the better the better it is for me because you give him weapons, you give him offensive linemen, and you still see con artist Kirk and this team lose, which I am all for ripping him again and again. Uh, So we'll see what happens with that. NBA, Team France beat Team USA yesterday. That is an utter embarrassment. It really is. Uh, this is a game that mattered. Now they need to win their next two or else they're out. And to me, this is what I see. I see two things. I see that Coach Greg Popovich is not the coach that Mike K was, Coach K. Mike Krzyzewski, coach of Duke, has been the top guy for the Olympics for a while now. 16, 12, 08, 4, I forget when his run officially started, but him and LeBron have become good friends there as well what else do I notice the second thing is the impact of key veterans LeBron won it in 08 won it in 12 Kevin Durant was there in 12 Carmelo was there in 12 Carmelo was there in 16 as well was kind of that veteran leader because to me Kevin Durant is not a leader he's supposed to be the scorer and the leader for this team USA team and that is not the case in 2012 KD score was uh, 
highest scorer for this. But he wasn't the leader. Just because you're the highest scorer doesn't make you the leader. LeBron was the leader. Why? Because he is a pass-first, impact the game with his defense. Post and perimeter would bring the ball up the court. Was simply phenomenal in that role. And he got it done. He did. KD does not do that. He's not shooting well. He's not a closer either. I mean, this goes to show how much better LeBron is than KD. How much better Coach K is of uh, Coach Popovich. So to me, it's just a culmination of things. Could USA still win it? Yes, they have to win their next two games and then win out in the knockouts. Can we do that? Sure. They have the talent, but I just don't think they're built right built right to win when they have a bunch of ISO guys that want the ball and do their own thing and they're not playing as a team. And I think Coach Popovich should be better than that, but he is not doing that his job well enough either. Then there was an NBA trade too while this was happening. The Memphis Grizzlies uh, traded Jonas Valanciunas, a center, to the New Orleans Pelicans for Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe. Pelicans are also sending the number 10 overall pick in the draft and the number 17 overall pick in the draft to Memphis. And they're getting back, as I said, Valanciunas, the number 17 pick in the draft and the number 51 pick. So they basically swap picks uh, as well. So I think... This trade made neither team better. This is my instant reaction to it, and I don't have a feeling on either side. Jonas Valanciunas and Steven Adams are similar players in the type of role that they play in terms of rebounding and not scoring a lot. Both are really good. Pelicans got rid of Eric Bledsoe, who's a solid guard, but I didn't think Memphis needs him. Uh, because they've got Ja Morant, they got Dylan Brooks, so maybe a nice backup there, but they have Grayson Allen who can shoot as well. So that's interesting. It looks like to me it's just the first-round picks that are noted and some of the salary cap as well, but I don't know why Memphis would want to take that on. So because of that, I'll give Memphis a C plus, and I'll give the Pelicans a B- minus for this weird trade that occurred. What else? Well, NHL, the draft just happened, and there was quite a few trades on the eve of this draft, so I will be breaking down just a few of them. One of them was the Philadelphia Flyers uh, acquiring Rasmus Ristolainen for draft picks after trading Shane Gostaspare to the Coyotes. Shane Gostaspare is a decent defenseman, I think Rasmus Rusalainen is a little better, but they made a ton of trades to get draft picks and then trade them all for Rasmus Rusalainen. So I hope this works out for the Philadelphia Flyers or else it'll be a long time for the Philadelphia Flyers to rebuild and pay this contract off. Which, being a Penguins fan, I'm fine seeing the Philadelphia Flyers make bad trades and bad deals. I really do like it a lot. Another trade... The Arizona Coyotes traded Oliver ekman Larson and Connor Garland to the Vancouver Canucks for Louis Erickson, Jay Beagle, Antoine Russell. They have a ninth pick, which they turned into Dylan Gunther. This, to me, was an A trade for the Coyotes. They got rid of Oliver ekman Larson and his terrible contract since he's been one of the worst defensemen in the league. Yes, they had to pay the price of Connor Garland, who has been their offensive spark the past couple seasons. But they got the ninth pick in Gunther, who's a really solid player with a lot of offensive upside, who can play well. They got rid of Ekman Larson's terrible contract. They won't have to re-sign Connor Garland to a contract that they'd probably overpay him for. You have Louis Erickson, who's a decent player. Jay Beagle, who's a decent player. Antoine Roussel, who's a decent player. All within the last year of their bad contracts. So to me, that's just a home run for the Coyotes. They get an A-. minus. While the Canucks get a C minus because they traded a lot to acquire Ekman Larson and Connor Garland. Now you have to pay Ekman Larson. 
that money. And Connor Garland's going to have a contract extension as well. And now they have a lot tied up to their defensive core. You have Quinn Hughes, Ekman Larson, Myers, and I believe one more. So it's very mind-boggling that they would do that. The Blackhawks, Chicago Blackhawks, acquired Seth Jones from the Columbus Blue Jackets for Adam Boquist and draft picks. To me, this was great for the Blackhawks because they just traded Duncan Keith, needed kind of a nice key defenseman in their system. Seth Jones and the guy, yes, they did just pan out a hefty contract to keep him in around 8 to $9 million a year, which will now pan to 34 but at least he's not getting paid until he's 38, 39, like they did with Duncan Keith. But I believe Seth Jones will blossom here with Chicago and be a really good defenseman for them. So for that, I'll give the Blackhawks a solid B, but I'll also give the Blue Jackets a B because they didn't want to pay Seth Jones. They at least got a good prospect in Boquist, and they acquired some draft picks. Now a straight one-for-one trade of the Flyers trading Jacob Voracek to the Columbus Blue Jackets for Cam Atkinson. A couple years ago, Flyers won the trade in a heartbeat. This year, I think the Blue Jackets won because Cam Atkinson's game has been declining. It could be because the Columbus Blue Jackets were just terrible this year, but Cam Atkinson has been really good in the past. Jacob Voracek is a really good playmaker with great offensive skill set. I think it'll be good for both players to get a change of scenery. I'll give them both a B as well. Flyers getting young blood, younger blood in Cam Atkinson, who still has a lot of offensive upside, was part of that team where they swept the Tampa Bay Lightning in the playoffs. Jacob Voracek will play good, and I think he'll fit in with this new system of the Columbus Blue Jackets want to bring in, and he'll be a veteran presence. Then, in the MLB, lastly, there was another trade. The San Diego Padres acquired all-star second baseman Adam Frazier from the Pittsburgh Pirates for a couple minor league players. And, to me, this just cements... San Diego Padres is one of the best teams in the game of baseball right now, and they want to win now. And they did that by getting Adam Frazier, who's only 29 years old, will be with the team for a while, has the second-best hitting average at 327, four home runs, 32 RBIs, great defensively as well, uh, Gold Glove finalist. Now... At third base, you have Manny Machado. Shortstop, Fernando Tatis. And second base, you have Adam Frazier. The Padres are making moves, and they want to win it all, beat the rival of the Dodgers. And this trade was a step in the right direction. Then in terms of MLB games on today, the biggest game to me is on ESPN. The Toronto Blue Jays and the Boston Red Sox. The Blue Jays hoping to jump the Yankees tonight. And they could do that game on ESPN. That'll be a great game. Pitchers Thomas Hatch for the Blue Jays going against Nick Pavetta for the Red Sox. And the Blue Jays can pass the Yankees because the Yankees just had a terrible Three out of four games against the Red Sox. Yesterday, the Red Sox blew, or the Yankees blew a 4-0 lead in the eighth inning. Domingo Herman throws a no-hitter for seven innings. First pitch of the eighth, or one of a few first pitches of the eighth. He gets tagged for a double. They take him out immediately for a Jonathan Loisaga who loses the game for them. Four earned runs and ten pitches. I mean, come on, Yankees. Come on, Aaron Boone. What are you thinking? Not trusting Domingo Herman to get a couple more outs or stave it off. Bringing in the wrong, long, wrong reliever 
and Jonathan Loisaga, I mean Aaron Boone, you have made baffling decision after baffling decision. Part of a series two, they lost in the tenth inning. Another comeback where the Yankees were up four to uh, two or three to one. They blow it, tie it up in the ninth inning uh, because of Chad Green and then Kriske in this game. So this Yankee season has been terrible. They've blown so many leads. Uh, everything's been bad, and it all starts with Aaron Boone. When is someone going to take accountability? When Steinbrenner, when's Cashman going to say, we need to pull this guy because he's not good. He doesn't know how to manage. He's just chewing gum there in the dugout. Anybody can chew gum on the dugout. I can chew gum on the dugout. The guys outside of the Bronx Zoo can do that. Anybody can chew gum on the sidewalk. That's all Aaron Boone does. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't do anything. He just chews gum and watches the game. He basically has a season ticket to just sit and watch baseball at the best seat. And he gets paid millions for losing and sucking. That's what he does. He wasn't even that great of a player. He had one good classic, all-time classic hit against the Red Sox. And that was it. That's all he's done. He's no skill, no thought, no management at all. It hurts to watch the Yankees, who have been the mecca of baseball, who built a great team with Joe Girardi and had a system. You bring Aaron Boone in, and because of the talent that was brought in by Girardi and Cashman, allowed him to play well, but now fully, fully with Boone for three or four years now. And it's not been good. Especially this year, the things are unraveling if it seems. It's over. They're not winning the division this year. And I don't even think they're going to make a wild card spot at all. Tampa Bay is right there with the Red Sox, so one of them will get that first wild card spot. The second looks like it's belonging to the A's. In every game, the Yankees blow and lose. It is just more and more difficult to overcome when you've got Seattle in front of them. When right behind them you've got Toronto, Cleveland, the Angels. I'd rather see the Angels and Shohei Otani make that one game wild card than the Yankees. Because the Yankees are just pathetic. And it starts with Aaron Boone. So that's all folks. I'll talk to you soon. Bye everybody.